Talking Heads is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to 200 bucks. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the best way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. If becoming the greatest podcast host was as simple as using drugs, I would do it. And if there was a worldwide competition of podcasting and the free world was hanging in the balance, I'd expect even Bernie Sanders to understand and rubber stamp my intentions of using drugs. He is a communist after all, right? And they get it. And welcome to the latest episode of Talking Heads. I would say what number it is, but I forgot. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut, Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. Hello, Mark. Hello, Bram. I believe this is episode 5012. Is it really? It feels <laughs> like it, actually. <laughs> it does feel like it. Um, I want to get to... I, I was, had no intention... We're winging it today, people, because um, I had no intention of discussing a particular story that Dan Bloom sent my way, but it really... I don't know, for some reason, I feel like I need to discuss performance-enhancing drugs after reading what is going on with Russia which um, apparently, according to the um, World Anti-Doping Agency, which is the group that has unsuccessfully tried to stop doping in the world. It's like the war on drugs worldwide in sporting competition, but like the like Reagan policies did not work whatsoever. And has that it must be the most frustrating position ever to be in, to be in a worldwide agency that can do nothing to stop any of these things from happening in worldwide competitions. They issued a report today that was really actually based off of a documentary that was made by some German filmmakers about the Russian Athletic Federation. And essentially, it is just rife with drug use. Steroid use, performance-enhancing drug use, doping, the whole run, they're all Lance Armstrong, all of them. It's like every single athlete that is in some kind of international competition, it's just basically suggested that not only are they using all these drugs, that the government and the doctors are supporting their use of the drugs. And that WADA has basically found out that they want to ban the whole country from from competing in international sport because it's not exclusive to swimmers or runners or hockey players or any one particular thing. It's all of them. And based off of this information and whatever they've done, they basically listed an entire set of things that they say will prove to the world that Russia is the biggest cheaters on earth when it comes to this. Are they really want to put Russia in their crosshairs? I mean, Vlad Putin takes his stuff kind of seriously. They really want to get on his shit list? You know, what's amazing is every time I see a picture of him, it's like standing next to a horse without a shirt on, and he's definitely not on steroids. I mean, Listen. like, you know, for his age, he's in okay shape. But, I mean, you'd think if everybody was using him that he would look like Arnold Schwarzenegger from Pumping Iron. But he doesn't. He doesn't look like that. Well, first of all, he is never afraid to take his shirt off in any circumstance. And here's what I love, and I understand, he's like basically a gangster who's the leader of one of the largest and most powerful countries in the world. But you see all these PR shots of him, like, you know, tagging dolphins, wrestling bears. There's literally one of him trying to, and he has his shirt off, of course, trying to bend a frying pan with his bare hands. I mean, that's the coolest thing. That's, honestly, if Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump would get on stage and do that, I think that's a better way of determining who should be our leader. <laughs> yeah, you should. Oh, and by the way, don't e- don't tweet me or something and tell me they're not communist. I know they're not communist, but you, you <laughs> yeah, know they are. So just shut up. Like you know, they are actually still communist. You know that's the case. Okay, so just right. shut up. This whole we have a democracy is 
bullshit. So just like calm down, chill out. Like the, the, seriously, we all know they're communists. Anyway, here's uh, from the water report I'm reading from BBC.com about it. It said they revealed many instances of inadequate testing and poor compliance around testing standards. Yeah, no kidding. They recommended that WADA withdraw its accreditation of the Moscow laboratory and this particular director that he should be permanently removed because he was basically just letting them use the drugs and in some cases supplying them to the athletes. Uh, found what that do you need? Yeah. What do you yeah. need? I've got what you need to fix you up for a game today. I cannot pronounce, but just take, make muscle strong. That's right. You want to win gold or you want to cry like baby girl? Here, come in booth. You want to live in country? Look like ox and win gold by mile. <laughs> <laughs> right. Found Isn't that a surprise? Is everybody yeah. surprised by this? Yeah. Of course, he did this when it was Eastern Europe, you know, and all the communist bloc countries. We all knew that. What, you think everybody in Bulgaria was great at lifting weights? Or do you think somebody right. walked in there and said, all right, you 12 people, get in here. We're going to shoot you in the butt with this, and you're going to be able to lift everything. Right. Why does every Bulgarian look like Shaq? I don't understand how that happened. Why does every Bulgarian look like that? There's no way that that's in the gene pool. Uh, Here's the the other things they said. They found a number of Russian athletes suspected of doping could have uh, prevented or could have been prevented from competing at the London Games in 2012 had it not been for the, quote, collective and inexcusable laissez-faire policy adopted by the Russian Athletic Federation. Uh, They suggested that neither the Russian Athletics Federation or the Russian Anti-Doping Agency nor the Russian Federation for itself can be considered anti-doping code compliant. Yeah, no shit. Uh, confirmed <laughs> allegations that some Russian doctors and laboratory personnel acted as enablers to get the cheating to basically they were supplying the drugs to them, which is like, you know, we're so stupid in this country. We like go to find like who was the guy with a rod in Florida who had the the dumpy little uh, oh yeah I can't the biogenesis guy was yeah the biogenesis guy like we go to people like that to go get the steroids and bring it to our athletes the government's just like what does he need just give to him okay just give <laughs> we to got him best stuff whatever and by the way this is their testing program what I'm assuming what what it would sound like. You swear you did not take any drugs? Wink, wink. Okay, you're fine with us. Go win some medals. And then here's the uh, the last one, which is the best. It says, in- identified the intentional and malicious destruction of more than 1,400 samples by laboratory officials in Moscow after receiving written notification from WADA to preserve the target samples. 1,400, okay? There's not 1,400 athletes, which means that multiple athletes, in fact, hundreds, failed numerous times <laughs> oops something happened to samples did you have them i'm not sure where they went there's not there's not 1400 skiers in russia no. that compete in the olympics so there's there's like eight so those eight all failed and there's eight swimmers that failed and there's eight speed skaters that failed and the whole hockey team failed and everybody failed everybody failed so like basically what this report is is saying that this country can't be trusted whatsoever to be involved. And this comes off the backs of, uh, clearly, there was a bribery situation to get the games in Sochi oh, just no. a couple of years ago. Really? Right? You think? Well, <laughs> well, the best part was, like, people, like, we're so, here's another one, how we're so dumb in this country. We're like, oh, the Winter Olympics in Russia, that makes sense. Except that Sochi actually has a Caribbean climate. <laughs> okay, but nobody here knows that. No. And they actually had to make snow to put it there. Like, there wasn't, there's, it never snows in this region of Russia, and yet we had the Winter Olympics there. And the people were like, what? Really? What are you talking about? Yeah, actually, Russia's an enormous country and we're so dumb we don't even know geography 
No, we really don't. And that was when I, we talked to people who were over there for the games, and they're like, yeah, I'm wearing shorts. It's like it's way too hot over here. And you're like, it's a, it's a Winter Olympics in Russia, right? It's like, yeah, but it's balmy. It's like 70 here. And and plus, nothing was fixed on time there. Nothing was finished. Like, there were hotel rooms that, like, didn't have, like, a toilet in them. And, I mean, it was just a horror story for, like, the infrastructure that was set up for that. And it was all, there were bribes, and it was all graft to, like, oh, yeah, we'll use all this money to build this, or we'll pocket most of it because, hey, that's what we do. So the whole thing was a scam. You know, like, this. here's how we're, I think we're different than them in general. Like, we frown on this because... We're a prideful country, right? We, we basically say, like, you know, we want to win on our own merits because we're so great that we'll just win on our own merits. And so we frown on people who cheat in this avenue. The way that we cheat in this country, and it doesn't get glorified, but it, the way that we go about cheating is that money is accessible. So in this country, we cheat to get money in this country. We don't cheat for sporting success. In Russia, it seems that they are lacking this sense of pride that they need to show winners, on some level. And hello, this, winners. Right? Like, hello, winners. <laughs> like, <laughs> but they want to show, they want to show their public there that they are great at particular things on a world stage. That That's my read on it. That like, because every time I, I hear about these drug stories, I go, in the end, if you get caught, you're going to be shamed. So it's ultimately not going to be worth it. Now, maybe in 10, 20 years from now, 30, 40 years from now, we'll look at all those scientific advances differently and suggest, and all these people will be on some form of performance enhancing drugs anyway, and we'll look at it, we'll look back on it differently than we do now. But right now, it's a public shaming. It's a, it's a huge public shaming to be caught this way. So you've trained your whole life to be part of these things, and you cheated your way to do it, so you're shamed, so all of your accomplishments are mitigated and destroyed, and they don't mean anything. And yet in that country, they've just decided that the risk-reward balance is completely different to them. They've just said, it's worth it to win. We don't care if we get caught doing it. We want to win as much as possible because for some reason that's important to us, which is, which is I, I don't know. It's an odd dynamic that I'm not so sure that we understand in this country. Well, I think it's a holdover from the Cold War, you know, where winning those medals was not just winning on the the athletic field it was winning on the political stage as well and it was every medal that they won was a validation for communism and that you know that way of life as it opposed capitalism and you know the forces of the west so for maybe it's just ingrained in sort of like the social fabric of we got to win at all costs i mean it's either that or or like you know al davis is reincarnated over there just win baby come on doesn't matter what we do I mean, we did we did this to them in the 1980s when the Rocky movie came out with Drago and he was on performance enhancing drugs. And we portrayed them as they wanted him to do that. And then it was so like it was almost like omniscient in some way that they kind of knew that this was the game we were playing with Eastern European countries, that they will win at all costs and they don't care if you know that they're doing it. Yeah, uh, I don't want to say shameless because it doesn't. It, that's not the right word for it, but it's it's definitely brazen and sort of a, a clear disregard for whatever the consequences are or sort of like the, the moral ambiguity of whether they should be doing this or not. They're just like, this is what we do. We're sorry that you guys don't accept it, but this is the way that we compete. You know, the amazing part is, and here we are in this country, and Lance Armstrong is a pariah. Oh, okay? yeah. He's a pariah here. And he did something that no American's ever done, really nobody's ever done, and he cheated his way to do it. And we overlook the fact that 
probably most of the cyclists in the Tour de France, then and now, are on some kind of performance-enhancing drug because it's an endurance test, and it's just asking you to cheat to try to win. I mean, it's impossible to—I think it's probably impossible for anyone on their own merits to win something like that when everyone else is on something that's going to help them in some way, shape, or form, right? We've turned him into a pariah, and yet— we overlook the fact that with his fame and, and while he lied and he was you know egregious in the way he handled relationships with people and took some of them down, he did raise hundreds of millions of dollars for cancer research. And we overlook that and say this guy's a pariah because he got his fame on a lie and he lied and he cheated and he buried people to try to maintain those lies and therefore he's a bad person so we overlook all the good that he did those guys in russia they throw parades for the these women have testicles now because they've used so many drugs and they're throwing parades for them because they won medals and things and they don't care that we know that they did it that's the amazing difference between us and them in a sporting sense we're completely utterly different we come from completely different opposite viewpoints do you, do you have a website where those women with testicles are? <laughs> yeah. You want to see that? You, you're going to add that to your, your, make that your homepage? Russian, Russian com. It's actually .edu because it's a learning site. Uh, yeah, right. If Vladimir Putin with his shirt off is on the front of it going, here is how to be famous in country, yes? Yeah. You want these? Yeah, like? put them on. It's big gold medals. <laughs> There's a reason the entire sports week builds up to NFL Sunday drama competition at the highest level. And now with FanDuel.com, you can get in on the action. There are thousands of leagues on FanDuel that cost as little as one buck to enter, and you can cash out the very same night that you win. Now when you use my code TALKING at FanDuel.com, you get a bonus match of up to 200 bucks. FanDuel's the leader in one-week fantasy football. They're paying out $75 million a week this season. Over 1 million players have won money. So go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use the code TALKING, and sign up now. Here's that special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks to get you earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use the code TALKING today, so don't get left out. FanDuel also offers daily fantasy baseball, basketball, hockey, daily fantasy sports. They're sweeping the nation. Find out why at FanDuel.com. Use our code TALKING. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. Welcome back to Talking Heads. Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Washington, um, and I'm a huge Washington Redskins fan. I'm still a season ticket holder, actually. I don't go to a lot of the games any longer, but um, it's one of those things where um, I wanted them my entire life. There was this enormously long waiting list that you couldn't get off of um, when they played at RFK Stadium, which at the time was either the smallest or one of the smallest venues in the NFL. It was also one of the best venues in the NFL. And the Redskins also, while I was growing up, was gr- were great. Um, Joe Gibbs was their coach in the early 1980s into the early 1990s. They went to the Super Bowl four times. They won three of them with three different quarterbacks. I I would argue that that decade um, would be put up against anybody in league history 
um, for dominance. Um, they didn't have Tom Brady. They didn't have Joe Montana. They didn't have John Elway. They didn't have Terry Bradshaw. They didn't have Johnny Unitas. They didn't have these great quarterbacks. They had good quarterbacks, and they won Super Bowls anyway with three different ones. I mean, really, it's, it's an astounding feat that they were able to do it. They didn't have a lot of Hall of Famers on those teams either. John Riggins is in. Daryl Green is in. Art Monk is in. Russ Grimm is in. I think that's it, right? Joe Gibbs is in. I think that's it. So I grew up, you know, I grew up with them being this dominant force, but an unusual dominant force. Yeah, no, no, they definitely were. I mean, it was the versatility that, that Gibbs adapted those teams to the personnel that he had. In, in a lot of ways that Belichick does, because Belichick, while he has Brady and he's had some great players, there's a lot of no-name guys that he just molds into a great team, and it's very Gibbs-esque. And, and certainly there's also a Belichick quality of, I'm not looking past any opponent, and I'm going to almost build them up in my mind as you know, like the 1986 Bears that no one can beat. And, you know, and and so he never takes anyone lightly. And Gibbs was famous for that. Every every Friday, it's like, oh, man, I don't know. We're going to go up there. I don't know how we're going to win. And he's, like, playing a team that's, like, 1-10. And and the Redskins are 9-1 and at that point or whatever. And the the Redskins would always be prepared. And they were, you know, I'm going to say the gold standard for the league. Obviously, you can make an argument. There were a lot of great teams in that point. You know, the Niners won one more Super Bowl. Yes, they did. The Giants were always there. But in terms of the way that the franchise was run, I don't think it's hard to argue that that really was the gold standard for the league. And Coach, Coach Gibbs was as good as it gets. Yes, they were. They really, they're very comparable, other than Brady. I mean, the, the, right. the difference is Brady. Brady, yes. Brady might be the greatest quarterback ever. We're starting to get to the point where I think we can have that argument. I mean, he certainly, oh, yeah. in my opinion, I know it's been this Brady-Manning argument for a long time. I think he has surpassed Peyton Manning for the amount of Super Bowls he's gone to and the amount he's won, and the, and he wins his division every single year. I think it's like impossible not to say that right now he's better, and that the stats may not suggest that because Peyton Manning's about to break Brett Favre's all-time passing record. Brady could end up playing longer; he could end up breaking that. But even if he doesn't, I don't I don't even think it's arguable that he has had a better career. But oh, both yeah. are great; both are in the Hall of Fame, right? So that's the big difference here that, pa- that the Patriots had this. But I'll give you an example of what you were talking about. I used to host the Joe Gibbs Show mm-hmm. um, when he was here in his second go around. And it was one of these weeks, the Redskins, they ended up in the playoffs two of the four years he was here. And one of the weeks, they were pretty good, and they played the 49ers. The 49ers were really bad that year. And they, they, they were coming to Washington, and they were like one in six or something like that. And they had been blown out three weeks in a row, something like that. And people were just writing in the paper and saying on the air, like, well, this is basically a bye week for the Redskins. They're going to crush this team. And just saying things like that. Joe Gibbs came out on Friday, held a, a news conference, and he screamed at the media. And he just <laughs> ripped them to shreds. And he's like, you know, he had this kind of folksy way of doing it. He'd be like, oh, how dare you say this about them? They're going to come out here. They're going to punch us in the mouth. and <laughs> All this stuff, on and on and on and on. Right? Okay, so. So great. So we get to the game, and the Redskins win 55-10 to 10 or something like that. I mean, it was like, it, it was exactly... And very rarely are the sports writers right about anything, but they were right about this because the 49ers were just happened to be really, really bad that season. And the Redskins crushed them, and they beat them by 40-some points. And I remember that Monday, I used to host the show with him on that Monday. I, I went, and I actually asked him about it. And I said, like, why did you rip into the media, you know, when clearly your team was so far superior this week? And all that anyone was saying was, we expect you to win. And he gave a very detailed answer of times in his career when he said, he basically just went on to say, you could be humbled very easily here. And you need to understand that. If you don't understand that, you take anything for granted in this league, you're going to get humbled really, really quickly. And I think Belichick is the exact same way. He recognizes that the second he lets his foot off that gas, pedal that someone's going to take over and take advantage of his team and if you don't keep 
basically your arm on their throat, and it means his own team, basically saying, you better stay with me here and stay as motivated and as locked in as I am because one day we're going to be that team losing 33-17 to and it's not going to be funny. Yeah, you know, and I... He just has everybody so ready to go, talking about Belichick. And, and very much, again, a lot like Gibbs. And, and when guys go down, there are other guys that step up. And it, it could have been clearer yesterday where there were injuries on the offensive line. You have a guy in Stork who's a center. They move him over to right tackle. Whoever the guy was playing at, like, right tackle, they move him, like, the center. I mean, it was like the whole line was discombobulated. Everyone was playing out of position. And yet the, the Patriots just – dominated that game with ease. There was never a point where you felt like, I mean, there was a brief moment in the second half when the Redskins were driving, and if they'd gotten a touchdown on that drive, it would have been 17-10. They turned it over, and there was never even remotely a challenge after that. But, I mean, it was just the ease with which the, the New England Patriots seem to perform right now, even in the face of adversity with all the injuries they've had. And it was just, I'm watching this game yesterday, and it's such a contrast of teams. You have the, the, the Skins who were the gold standard for the league at, at one point, and it was the way you ran your, your team, and you did have depth, and you had all this great way that you competed, and you played the game the way it was, you are coached up, and now it just seems like they've completely lost their way, whereas the Patriots, they're just in the middle of that zone right now. Yeah, you know, the, the you know obviously one of the huge differences between the two franchises, and we're talking about it because they played each other the other day, and, and just I'm kind of reliving this because I've now been in New England for seven years, and I'm watching this going, it reminds me of my childhood, and, and, and part of which, like, I don't think the people here understand how good they have it. Um, no. You know, the, the, you know, Brady's a huge difference between the two franchises, but the other big advantage that the Redskins had back then was there was no salary cap, and there was right. no free agency, for that matter. So when the Redskins had players they liked but just didn't have room for them to play, they could shelve them and keep them away from other teams. And that's a very different scenario. You know, that was a very different league back then, that if you had an owner who was willing to spend a lot of money like the Redskins did, and they had these crazy rules with how you could basically hide players, you know, and in certain places and keep them away from other teams, that you had an advantage of building a roster. Um, that said, not unlike the Patriots, these are two kind of run-of-the-mill in terms of top-to-bottom talent teams. They, each team had good players on it, but very you know, very few people would you would look at and you go, wow, that guy's great or this guy's great. I would say top-to-bottom when you look at a lot of rosters around the NFL now, you would say that's better than what New England has. Maybe not at quarterback, certainly not at tight end, but at most other positions you might say that they do. Certainly at receiver you would with just about anybody. So well, they they kept saying throughout the game they kept bringing up the point that there is not one starter there wasn't one starter yesterday who was on offense for the Patriots who was drafted in the first round. That's right. Yeah, I mean Gronkowski's become amazing, but like Deion Lewis and Legarrette Blunt, Legarrette Blunt's played for like five teams. He, he's only yeah. good for them. You know, right. He's, when he he's goes, the only team he's good for. You know, he's right, good when, for them. When he inevitably gets cut again at some point, he'll go yeah. try it out with the Chargers or the Falcons, and he'll stink, and yes. he'll resign with the Patriots and run for 400 yards in a game. But that's a, what he does. But it's really funny, having lived now in both places at times when both teams are extremely dominant. Like, I grew up with the Redskins, and it became uh, almost like it felt like a certainty that they were going to be good every year. Yeah. And, and it's like you forget, and I was too young to know how unusual that is, that like for 10, 11, 12 years running, my team's going to be good. Like, especially now, that's almost impossible in the NFL for you to have any sense of that to occur. Look at the 49ers, for that matter, that went to the NFC Championship three years in a row and now might be the worst team in the NFL in a very short period of time. That happened. That can happen to you very easily 
in the way that the game is structured and the cap is structured. Now, that can happen to you now. What the Patriots have done here is a lot like what the Redskins did, but I've lived the last 20 years of the Redskins being a dysfunctional mess, the complete, utter opposite of what they were in the 1980s when I grew up. And I'm looking at the Patriots, who for a number of years were a horrific mess up until Bill Parcells and then Bill Belichick took over that franchise. Now they're a model of consistency. And it's strange because I wonder if young kids who are like me grow up with the Patriots are going to think, like I thought about the Redskins, that it's almost like an entitlement to you, that they're always going to kind of be good. But there may come a period of time where the Patriots are terrible. There's oh, a, there come a period. Of, in fact, it probably will happen in their lifetime where they just can't get out of their own way for a decade. And I wonder if they're going to feel the same thing I feel about the Redskins, which is like, I can't believe we haven't gotten out of this funk yet, considering how good we used to be. Yeah, no, I listen, that time is definitely going to come for New England. It comes for all franchises. There are ebbs and flows. That's what makes this run for the Patriots sort of remarkable is that in this era where the league is so tilted towards parity that they found a way to constantly stay on top. Now, obviously, having a guy like Brady and Belichick, you know, that is a massive difference maker. But still, there are teams that have great players and great talented quarterbacks that year in, year out, you're like, well, we hope they're going to be good. You don't know. And inevitably, when those guys go, there is going to be a downturn. That's the way the league is. And, you know, it's funny, you know, I have certain jokes with friends, and you look at certain fan bases, and I've said this about myself as a Red Sox fan, before they won those World Series, we used to laugh at ourselves, and we'd call ourselves the French. Because a lot of people don't know this, but back in the 1800s under Napoleon, the French were kind of like the biggest badasses on the planet. (laughs) But they haven't done anything in like 200 years, and there's still this arrogance in France of like, oh, we are the best. Who are you, pig dog American? We don't like you. And it's like... You got nothing to brag about, Frenchie. What are you talking about? And I feel like in a lot of ways that there are certain fan bases. I'm going to throw the Redskins fan base in there. There's this arrogance about that fan base. It's like, hey, we are part of the championship conversation. We should be. We're one of the elite teams. It's like, no. No, That was a thousand years ago. That was a thousand years ago now. It was forever ago. I mean, here's the epitome of it. Okay, in this this era, it's very difficult to maintain any level of excellence, right? Yes. So, like, last year, Carolina won their division for the second year in a row, but they ended up, it was like 8-8 and or something. Like, that's some crazy bad record. It was just a bad year for that division, right? Every team was really bad. That was the first time since that division was constructed that the same team won the division twice. And Carolina wasn't good last year. It was just they happened that they won it. In the last six or seven years, every team in the NFC East has won that division at least once. Every team has done it at least once. New England hasn't lost their division since they changed to four divisions. Not once. It hasn't happened once. Okay? There are two divisions where every team over the last four to five years has won the division at least once. New England hasn't let anyone else win it in 12, 13, 14 years running. That's remarkable. That is remarkable. The, The fact that they never had a bad year. Never had a bad year in a year where you have to make terrible choices about your roster because of the salary cap. They never had a bad year. That's incredible. Yeah, no, even when Brady went down, and I forget, was it Ryan Mallett that stepped up and, you know, or whoever it was, maybe it was Matt Castle, and they went 11-5 and five when Brady went down in the first game of the year. I mean, it's, I, it's just, it, it's astonishing what they've been able to accomplish. But eventually, you know, in the year like 20, 
25 or 2030, there's going to be an old dude in Southie named Sully, and he's going to be telling his kids, be like, you got no idea how good we used to be. Yeah. Oh, my God. We were the greatest freaking team on on the earth. Tom Brady was a god, and we were the best. And they're not going to – at that point, they'll be you know, like a perennial like 3-13 and 13 team because that's the way the cycle yeah, goes. Yeah, that's the way the cycle goes. I mean, look, the 49ers were incredible from the early 1980s with oh, Joe Montana through god. Steve Young, yeah. through Steve Mariucci. They were good up until the early 2000s. Thousands. They were competitive. 20-year yeah. run of being extremely competitive. And over the last 15 years, except for a very short sample with Jim Harbaugh as their coach, they were awful. They didn't make the playoffs. They were non-competitive in most years. No, they were terrible. The, the Raiders of the 1970s were an incredibly run franchise into the 80s. And then even they were competitive into the early 90s. They have been god-awful for about 25 years running. And the Redskins are the same thing. And I, it's amazing to me, having lived both of them now, where I've lived in two regions in the middle of that zone where there's a team that is just so dominant and it's, there's an entitlement to thinking, we're just going to be good every year. You're not. But in, so you really need to enjoy it right now because one day Tom Brady is going to retire. And you know what? Those first-round picks, all of a sudden they just have a way of not working out for you. Yeah. By the way, uh, so you so now I'm I'm going to put forth the theory that it's not Brady, it's not Belichick, it's not Gibbs that had these influence on these teams. It's you. Wherever right. you move, the team gets great. So the people from Jacksonville would love it if you could head down there, check out the Waffle Houses down there, and yeah. you know just call that your home. Yeah. People of Green Bay, I I, I won't move there. People of <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> I might. I might. So, considering, well, yeah, I guess you guys don't really need me because you guys have been really good. Let, yeah. where, where should I go? I don't want to go to Cleveland or Cincinnati or Buffalo. I got to pick it a little bit. I would go to Nashville. I would do it. I sure. think, like, for, you got to pay me about $8 million a year, and I will live in Nashville, but the good news is your team is going to be unbelievable <laughs> for like 15 years. Do you know how much joy I'm going to bring you? Right, it's worth every penny. Worth every penny, people. Let's start that Kickstarter campaign right now. NFL fans are watching history right now. The Bengals, Panthers, fired up Patriots, still unbeaten. And Peyton Manning on the brink of passing Brett Favre in career wins and passing yards. And with that backdrop, the energy... In Mile High is going to be off the charts when the Broncos play the Chiefs this weekend. SeatGeek app still has a ton of ticket options all over the stadium. And when you use my code TALKING, you can get a check back for 20 bucks. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free. It takes less than a minute to download. Then you search for your event, find a great deal, enter our code TALKING. And when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send you a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best deals automatically they rank every deal by deal scoring it showing you a color-coded map that's easy to read SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless easy and safe so to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check download the free SeatGeek app today enter promo code talking in the app SeatGeek will then send you 20 bucks once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase and I want to welcome a new colleague to the Panoply Network Dave Zirin who I tweet with often and his new show Edge of Sports in a news cycle filled with Greg Hardy's misdeeds, the Missouri football players' strike, and new Russian doping scandal, Dave offers an unfiltered political take on sports that doesn't hide its head in the sands. Edge of Sports with Dave Zirin. Search for it on iTunes and Stitcher or find it on panoply.fm. I wish him a lot of luck. He's a friend. All right, back to us uh, talking heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. 
Mark Stern down in Washington, uh, D.C. So the Cavaliers are off to a good start. Everyone figures they're at least going to be in the finals, assuming LeBron James is healthy and uh, potentially will win it this year. That if things had gone a little different with the health of his team, he may have won it last year, and then the drought in Cleveland will end. Well, LeBron is a little bit more than just bringing the championship back to Cleveland. Obviously, it was his mantra, Mark, to return home and try to do this for the home fans, which is going to be one of those celebrated moments in sports history that he went and did that. And now... You may have noticed, or at least he wants you to notice, that his jersey that he's wearing is slimmer on him. I thought this was for obesity, that he was trying to kind of team up with the whole obesity movement and show people that you need to have a a, a good body. Um, That said, like, he's a professional basketball player and no one looks like him. Um, But it turns out that he is trying to present professionalism in terms of of a basketball uniform that he has said that he is wearing things a certain way, not baggy and in a way to try to present himself that this is what he wears to his workplace. So he's going to be as neat as possible. And that professionalism is what's important to him. Did you get that message by looking at highlights of him playing basketball games? Well, it, it made me, you know, put on a collared shirt and uh, come in here dressed, you know, I'd shave, try and present myself a little bit more professionally at the radio station. Did you? No. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment, but I didn't. I didn't get it. I, I guess he's. I didn't get it. No, I didn't get it at all. I don't think anybody would get that. It's like, uh, maybe you're just trying to market a different type of shorts or shirt here or a different look. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I totally love the sentiment, but it's a little obtuse. You got to kind of, if he's got to point it out that that's what he's trying to do. Uh, it's flying a little bit under underneath everybody's radar. It's a little weird. Yeah, it is weird. Like I, I, now that he said it, I appreciate it. But I think he said it because no one asked him about it. You know, well, of it's like one of those things where you're like, where you're like, you know, did anyone actually go up to him and say like, your shorts are a little tighter? <laughs> yeah, which is possible considering you know when you interview people every single day, which is what happens during a season. In the case of basketball teams or baseball teams or hockey teams, where they're playing so much that you're interacting with them on a daily basis. You come up with questions like that, like event, like last week, someone asked Eddie Lacy if he was fat. I mean, eventually you just got to ask the question: Is the guy fat? Right. And in the case of LeBron James, like someone may have said, you know, hey, I've noticed your uniform's a little tighter. What's up with that? And maybe that's how he gave the answer. But it's possible that he just said, hey, haven't you guys noticed my uniform's tighter? Let me tell you why. Right. Yeah. I, again, that's so flying under my radar. Uh, maybe if you're covering the team, you're like, well, it does seem to to hug his body a little bit tighter. Let, let me ask him about that after the game. Uh, you know, I, again, I love the sentiment. You know, I, I love the idea of like, hey, let's dress for success. Let's dress like professionals, have a little bit sense of, you know, more confidence. And like, this is how we're going to conduct ourselves. But again, just him going out there with a different size shirt and pants. I, I'm sorry. I think he's a great player, but it's not I'm, I'm not seeing that message. Yeah, I mean, it's like it. it I just didn't get it, you know, like I needed to sometimes like, you know, I don't know why Like you're trying to make some kind of statement to me for the better good of everybody. It needs to be just a little more obvious than that. Yes, it does. You know, like if Michelle Obama was just like wearing a shirt and it had a picture of milk duds on it in a circle with a line through it, I wouldn't understand that she was like, stop being fat, you know, right. but like, but she would have to tell me that, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, I just don't quite, I just did this one flew over my head. It's one of those, listen, I'm not trying to criticize him. I appreciate he's doing things like yes. that. Professionalism is important. And I think and, it's you a know, great this lesson. Was a, this was a huge issue in the NBA sub, pre-LeBron James. Before LeBron James showed up, you'll recall that like when Allen Iverson was kind of the face of the league, 
there was a big problem that the NBA had with yes. trying to image players. And remember, they started making guys wear suits to yes. the games because they weren't wearing to the games, and they were covering up tattoos. And there was a lot of consternation about like, hey, wait a minute, you know, this is a freedom of expression issue here that you're getting into, and, and you're attacking black men. Really, is what you're doing. You're attacking black men for the way they dress and body art and all of those types of things um, that they're accustomed to in their culture. And and there was a big issue with that. And now LeBron James, here's LeBron, the, the David Stern and, and um, Adam Silver must be like, this is who we love. <laughs> this guy is wearing clothes that fit him perfectly, and he can go into a boardroom. Can we just both agree, though, that we don't want to go back to the 80s style of NBA uniforms with, like, the big high socks and the really tight, small shorts? Like, Maybe. I mean, I love Larry Bird and, and Kevin McHale, but at every, like, loose ball and they're rolling around the ground, I'm like, I'm about to see something that I don't really want to see. Something's going to pop out. You know, honestly, if they'd worn the other, you know, jerseys that were more standard, I would have noticed how milky white and disgusting their <laughs> bodies were. So I actually appreciated that they wore these things to just dis- distract me away from their bodies. I didn't want to look at their bodies. LeBron, you know, LeBron is you know, chiseled and gold so good for him um so he's you know hopefully marching at least in his mind towards what would be a first title for cleveland the lakers are not going to win this year no Um, and this is this sounds like this is going to be it for kobe um byron scott the coach out in la said he hinted to him kobe did for the first time that um that this is going to be it um his contract is up again um the lakers were under a tremendous amount of criticism for the amount of money they gave him last time because it was like one of the highest salaries in the league and kobe's just isn't that type of player anymore and can't even really stay healthy anymore in the start to this season he's been you know quite average on the court and I think he's realizing you know his body is telling him that time is up and the team that's around him it's not like he's playing with Pal Gasol and Shaq and those type of players anymore he's playing with young guys that he can't win with and he probably knows that and he's even said publicly I can't envision myself playing for anybody else which Maybe baloney may won't be. Well, I guess when he gets put to the test, we'll find out if that's the case. But he's basically saying, um, this is it for me, too. Do you believe him? This is it? I do. I think with certain players, they take a look and they say at, at the level of their play, and they say, I don't want to be remembered for a guy that stumbled like Willie Mays. It's always the Willie Mays with the Mets stumbling in the outfield at the end of his career. And I think guys think about their legacy. And and you listen, he's making an enormous amount of money, but I can't think that money's going to be an issue for Kobe Bryant moving forward. And I think that all you have at that point, no, I would hope not. He only has eight hundred million dollars. Right. You know, you never know. Uh, you never know what these guys are. Hey, look, it's a new emu farm. I bought five of them. They're great. You know, but you know, I, I for him, I think that he would say, I don't want to be remembered as going out as a guy that sort of had a middling game with the team that finished out of the playoffs. And I certainly don't see him as a guy that says, fine, Los Angeles, get me out of here. I'll go over to Cleveland. I'll go to San Antonio. I'll win another tie. I'll be like the ride-along guy. He, he's a Laker. And I think, he, I think that means a lot to him. And I can't see him sort of going back on that and then just riding around wherever. Because he's got rings. He doesn't need more rings. How many does he have? Five now? Uh, he's got five. I know he, but see, he's always had this thing where he wants to catch Jordan with six and that's not going to happen. Not in the very near future with Los Angeles, unless somehow next year, Kevin Durant's playing with him or something like that. I mean, like, I guess if that happens and 
maybe he comes back for a cheap amount of money and to play with him to try to win with him. I, I think that's the only scenario by which I see it happening. Yeah, but I, I could see him. I mean, there's a certain amount of like, you know what? Let, let, I mean, he's not going to go out on top, obviously, because they're not going to win the, the, the title this year. But going out on his own terms, I, I, I always sort of respect that. You know what I would really hate is if he said, no, this is it. And, I, I you know, I'm going to retire as a Laker and have a big going away celebration for him. And then like sometime over the summer, he goes, actually, I'm going to play in Cleveland now. That's the kind of stuff that pisses yes. me off. Make a decision, stick with it, and then make your peace with it and go with God. I, I would do, if I were him, this is how I would look at it. I would go, you know what? I'm going to let my contract expire clearly no one's going to give me some massive contract again I, I can't imagine anybody would I only really want to play with the Lakers so I'm going to just stay in touch with Mitch Kupchak and if he tells me Kevin Durant's willing to show up here if you're going to take a veteran's minimum and play with him you know and let him be the star with these other young guys then come back and resign. And if no one's going to show up and be that type of person with his team next year, and he's just going to be playing with these young guys again right off into the sunset. But too many guys. Michael Jordan played for the Wizards. Peyton Manning plays for the Broncos right now. Emmett Smith played for the Cardinals. Patrick Ewing played for the Magic and the Sonics. I mean, I don't put it past anybody that, like, at some point he says, you know what? Okay, what is one year in Cleveland? You know, like, why not? Why not go do it? I can go win there. Or what, you know, like... Maybe I go to Oklahoma City because Durant and, and Westbrook are going to stay together and they've decided, hey, we need, your, we need one piece to come out here to help us out. And you're going to play 10 minutes off the bench, but you're going to score 15 points because you're going to get to shoot and bulk in those 10 minutes. You know, like, you I know, guess. Like, I, I know says it won't happen? I know what you're saying. I, there's just, I mean, listen, I live in Washington and it was thrilling to have Jordan come here because when first he was president, you're like, well, maybe he'll come back and play. And then he did. You're like, oh my God, he's playing for the Wizards. But it wasn't the... Jordan of the of the Bulls and to me that sort of tarnished his legacy that he had those sort of like a eh, couple of years here in Washington that really didn't mean anything and I know he didn't do he didn't come back for me he didn't come back for anybody other than him he just wanted to play again so I don't know I, I I'd like to see a cleaner ending but that's just how my head is wired I know but he seems like Jordan to me with that he's going to go out kicking and screaming situation and I think that was part of what Jordan's situation was he just didn't want to stop playing because he just could not make himself stop playing I feel like Kobe Bryant might be the same way I'm actually somewhat surprised that Derek Jeter never revisited this with the New York Yankees or never revisited it with baseball that he was able to actually literally just walk away from the game on his own terms that is unusual that that happened I'm going to give you two great reasons as to why he was able to to do that hannah davis <laughs> okay you know what like <laughs> if i showed you the list of women who have been his oh i know and, you but know, it's just like, the latest that's it I, and you know what if hannah davis was at my apartment right now and the deal was you can walk away from radio for just be like sure what are we gonna do let's go to ihop you know hopefully we won't have one with a with a sinkhole in it but hannah it's me and you forever i'm excited about that look you're never dating hannah davis but here's here's what you can do if you if you move to russia Yo. and you take a ton of drugs right you could be a gold medalist in any sport that you want and i could date a woman with testicles which is really a well yeah i mean whatever russian hannah davis looks like you could have her come All here can I borrow Come razor? Here. I have bit of morning shadow. Where is horse? I'd like to ride with Vladimir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're done. See you next week.